0: morning. Good morning. I just want to take a second and uh, ask you to help me say a special thank you to our production team who work incredibly hard to keep service flowing for us in the middle of a crisis like obviously they were dealing with back there. Man, they were working hard and quick to solve. Isn't that amazing? So let's say thank you to all our production team. So, so blessed. I am telling you, um, the the way um, technology has changed, I used to know a lot about what goes on back there. I know nothing now. Without that team, we would be absolutely sunk. And uh, the volunteers who give their time and effort and energy, I know nothing makes them more sick when we see something like that happen. Um, But uh, I loved what happened because it plays right into my message today. And I just smiled in my heart because I realized that it's just yet again Another opportunity for me to put a, uh, an exclamation point or an accent mark on um, what it is that I think God's trying to talk to us about today, and that is Satan's influence in trying to create distractions to hinder you and I from hearing the word of God. That's the premise of what we're going to be talking about in the passages we're looking at today is that how Satan is trying to get a wedge in. And so what I want to challenge you is is that if we even if we experience something else, just push through that because I'm I'm confident in this is that God has brought you here to hear a message that is going to challenge you and inspire you. Whether you are someone who don't even don't profess to be a believer, you're here with a friend, or you don't know why you're here, even how you got here, you're just thinking to yourself, I never dreamed I'd be in church on May 2nd of 2021, but here you are, and I promise you God has a message for you, but also for that churchgoer, that long-term churchgoer, that Christian family, that mature believer. Um, And there's a difference between a churchgoer and a mature believer, by the way. Uh, Some of you've just been in church all your life, it wouldn't necessarily call yourself mature believers, but but we have to grow, don't we? And uh, uh, but but God has a message for all of us there, and so I want you to open your Bibles today, and I'd encourage you to open the Word of God, whether it's in an app or on your actual physical Bible. I'm a paper Bible guy, but I'm 52; that's how I do Bibles. I I can't necessarily read in the, any other way because I like to underline things. But if you open up to Acts chapter 13. We're going to talk about uh, Saul or Paul again today and, uh, and help us understand something really cool that took place. And so a little backstory, I don't have time to preach a back message, but, but just a little bit of a backstory is that as persecution in Jerusalem increased... As it began to kind of, uh, under the hand of, of Saul himself, uh, and, and through a lot of other religious leaders who didn't like the new way that was being taught, that Jesus was resurrected and that he was the only way to Christ, when the persecution in Jerusalem began to increase, we talked last week that the church dispersed, they scattered, they, they went all throughout the region. And while that was Satan's plan and strategy to dilute the movement, it actually backfired on him. He stoned, they had Stephen stoned, and that was supposed to scare everyone, and it did, but the blood of that martyr was the seed of the church. And because of the the dispersing of the Christians throughout the region, a church named Antioch in Syria became a quickly growing church, a church that would have a lot of influence in the community and would see a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ at that church. It was in approximately uh, AD 47, so about um, you know, just a little bit after Christ had passed away and resurrected. So here it is, you know, beyond a decade um, while the church at Antioch was fasting and worshiping. So the church was, was doing their spiritual disciplines of praying and fasting and gathering together. While they were doing that, the Holy Spirit challenged the church to set apart or to send on a missionary journey to to. Um, to commission, so to speak, a mission that would have a a couple different characters, Barnabas and Paul and a guy named John Mark. And he uh, would set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work in which God had called them to do. So let's read the account together. Acts chapter 13. We're going to start in verse number two. One day as these men uh, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that's the church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them to do. And after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. So they would, they would pray with their hands placed upon them. It wasn't like a lay their hands on them, like, you know, when your parents want to lay their hands on you when you're in trouble. This was laying their hands like in a prayerful way, commissioning them, praying for them to send them out on a missionary Journey, But did you catch that? It was through prayer and through fasting that they were commissioned and that they were sent. The church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas, and John Mark as their assistant, on a first missionary journey. This is a big deal. The first missionary journey of Paul. What happens on this journey? Well, before we get into that, I want you to write down a very important phrase that I think is important for all of us to, to anchor to and to keep in our memory, is that, and it's this. We're going to write this down. Prayer and fasting... They pave the way for us to receive divine direction. Prayer and fasting paves the way for you to receive divine direction. I don't know if you need divine direction right now in your life. Maybe you're going through something and you're just asking God for great clarity and great help because the stakes are high. There is a, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of fear. Maybe it's a medical decision. Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's a, a, a career decision. Uh, maybe it's a, a, an education decision. Maybe it's a relational decision. Whatever it is, if you need divine direction, then I want to give you the recipe in which to discover that. And again, it is through prayer and fasting. That's what paves the way for us to receive divine direction. So, if this morning you are needing God to give you divine direction, maybe all He's brought you here today for is for this little nugget of information is that maybe it's time in the month of May for you to pray and for you to fast and to seek Him in a different way than you have before. It's not just a token reading in the morning and a small prayer that you pull the handle on God and say, please solve this problem and you wait to see if it transpires. Maybe God is bringing you to a place here today to hear, I need you to spend unhurried time with me in, in exceptionally different ways, praying to me and fasting. So I don't know where you are today. Who needs to hear that? But I pray that you will receive those words. Continuing on in the story, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4, picks up with the narrative. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. You see, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, but they were commissioned from the church. And that's a really big diff, diff, uh, distinction, is that the Holy Spirit was the one driving this entire thing. They were praying and fasting, and the church says we're supposed to reach out beyond our walls as a church and to establish and to send this message into a far-reaching place that we don't have the, the position and or the influence um, geographically or, um, or any other reason. We don't have the ability to do anything else except if we send some of our key people. When church planting comes for North Point, when we begin to talk about planting church, a church together, once we can regroup from COVID and, and, and really have a clarity by the Holy Spirit as to when that time is, there'll be a day that we have to send some of our best people, the Pauls and the Barnabases of the world and say, all right, we're going to commission you and send you out. And that takes takes a a bit of a a hit on the staff when that happens. But man, glory to God. If God calls us to do that and we send some of our best people to go start that work, we're going to see God do great and incredible things. I pray for the opportunity that God would lead North Point to do exactly what happened with us. We were born as a church plant, and I pray that one day our church would be responsible for planting a church as well. That's what I desire so much. So, Paul and Barnes were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they went down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then they sailed to the island of Cyprus. And you should look at a map and see where this is. This is a significant journey. This is not a small potatoes journey. This is a big deal that they were taking here. And so, they went down the seaport of Seleucia, and they, then they sailed for Cyprus. And there in the town of Salmas, they went into the Jewish synagogue, and they preached the work. And here's where John Mark is mentioned as their assistant. Now, going to verse 6. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the, very, the entire island. This is a very, very busy trip. Finally, they reached Paphos. And it was in Paphos that our story, our narrative today slows down so we can talk about what took place. It was in Paphos where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet, whose name was, interestingly enough, Bar Jesus. Bar-Jesus in Aramaic means the son of the Savior, or the son of Jesus, or the son of Joseph, uh, also can mean wise man, um, but it's also clearly known that he was a sorcerer because God's word tells us that. This was somebody who was uh, a, kind of a fourth teller, a future teller, who would stand near a some type of government official or someone of, of prominence, of influence, and would, would speak to them on behalf of what God would want them to know uh, as a false prophet no, none, nonetheless. And so this this false prophet named Bar-Jesus was the character. In verse 7, it says in the NLT that Bar-Jesus had attached himself to the governor. That means that he was a close companion. He held real close. It was probably great benefit for him to be in that position of influence. Many people would want to be the right hand of a governor to be able to speak truth or whatever his truth was or to influence his decisions and political decisions as well as other decisions that he would make. And so Bargesus was this person. He had a very influential spot, and he didn't want to lose his clout and his credibility. Verse 7 again, Bargesus had attached himself to the governor. His name was Sergius Paulus who was an intelligent man. Underline that in your Bible. He was an intelligent man. And the governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit with him. And what was the purpose of that? For the governor wanted to hear the word of God. He was an intelligent man, underline that, and he wanted to hear the word of God. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you consider yourself an intelligent person. You're not a dummy, dum-dum somewhere, and and you figure that you have a brain. You can deduce some things. You can figure things out. You're an intelligent person. Maybe you're here today because you're just trying to see, hey, I want to figure this Jesus stuff out for myself. I I don't want to just take someone else's word. I'm an intelligent person, and I want to hear the word of God for myself. That is what Sergius Paulus was doing. But notice what happened in verse 8. This is where the conflict comes in. But Elimus, the sorcerer, that was his Greek name. So Bargesus is synonymous with Elimus, just like Paul is synonymous with Saul. It was just another name for Paul. This was another name for Bargesus. So Bargesus, also known as Elimus, he was the sorcerer. It was his Greek name. And here's what it says in verse 8. But Elimus, the sorcerer, interfered, or he interrupted, And urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul were saying. In fact, God's word says he was trying to keep the governor from believing. He was interrupting. He was... Every time they would try to say something, he would refute it. He would try to, to knock down every claim that he would have. As they would talk about the resurrected Christ, he would say they stole the body. As they would talk about how, how Jesus is going to return again, and he would talk about how foolish that was. When Jesus, when he talked about how he walked the earth and that you could see his hands and you could see his side and he was glorified, they're like, no, he was completely beaten to death. There was no way he could have had this glorious appearing and all these things. And so he would he would just try to refute everything that Paul would try to be explaining. Paul was an incredible, gifted communicator. And he had, the under, he had the ability to rightly divide God's word, but also to tell historically what took place. He had irrefutable proofs. And this intelligent man, Sergius Paulus, wanted to hear them. But this right-hand man of his, this Bar-Jesus, this sorcerer, this false prophet, who had a lot to lose if, if Paul and Barnabas could convince the governor... of a a truth that Bar-Jesus wouldn't speak of, he would lose his influence and his clout. And so there was personal motivation by Bar-Jesus, but it wasn't just personal motivation, as we're going to learn. There was actually something satanic happening, something demonic happening, where Satan was doing all he could. If you replace the end of that verse, verse 8, he was trying to keep the governor from believing. Believe that and understand that that was Satan doing that. Satan wanted to keep the governor from believing so he was interrupting through Elamis. He was refuting through Elamis. He was insulting and he was mocking everything that was said. And as I read through this passage of Scripture, and as I do in my own personal quiet time, if you take one of my classes, you'll know this about me, is that as I'm reading Scripture, I try to read about one chapter a day. That's my personal goal. But very rarely will I ever complete a chapter because I'm waiting for that moment in my quiet time with God as I'm reading His Word for something to basically leap off the page, something accentuates, almost like there was a highlighter on it, but it wasn't highlighted. And the words that he was an intelligent man and that he wanted to hear the word of God was just there. And I thought, man, there is the message for us. As much as I had other things I had planned to speak about, this was the thing that I think you need to hear today. He was an intelligent man. He wanted to hear the word of God. And this sorcerer, led by Satan, was doing all he could do to interfere and interrupt and distract the governor from paying attention to what Paul said and Barnabas were saying. Do you see that distraction element? All he was trying to do is to keep him from being able to focus, to keep him from being able to hear, because he was afraid that if he heard, he would believe, because Paul and Barnabas were speaking the truth, and the sorcerer was doing his best to keep the governor from believing. The great commentator Matthew Henry would say these words regarding this passage. He would say, Satan remains especially busy with people of great influence and power. If you're a person of influence or power and leadership in your business, maybe you're a marketplace leader or business owner, then you need to pay attention to this because Satan remains especially busy with people of great influence and power, trying to keep them from hearing the truth. For their testimony, he knows, will influence many. I think it's interesting how on Paul's first missionary journey, Paul encounters opposition from Satan in this message. In fact, every time the gospel is preached, including right now in this room, Satan will plant stumbling blocks and distractions and have distractors or detractors like bar Jesus in the paths of those who are seeking to understand the truth. If you truly and genuinely want to know If this thing called Christianity, if this relationship with Jesus is true, if in fact there is eternal life, if you want to kick the tires of faith, if you want to try to understand mercy and grace, anything that's going to point you to the gospel message and story of the person and work of who Jesus Christ is, you can confidently know that Satan will try to plant a stumbling block in your mind or in your path to distract you and to keep you from understanding the truth. It's happening in the church today, and it will happen online no matter where you are watching this message at home, no matter where you are. If you're watching in your car in your office or right now online live, there is something that right now, as chances are, are, trying to distract you from this message that God is trying to help you hear today. You're an intelligent person, and you want to hear the word of God, and you want to know the truth. So your job is to push through that tension and push through those distractions. Because Satan always lies. He always distracts, he always manipulates, he always interrupts, he always casts doubt, and he always attempts to keep us from hearing and receiving the truth. And you know there's a big difference between hearing and receiving, isn't there? It's one thing to hear something said. Everyone's hearing me today, but not everyone's receiving what I'm saying. It's possible that you can sit in church week after week and month after month and year after year and you hear the gospel, but you never receive it. And so we understand that, that this is why we've got to share the gospel every single week because we have to completely kind of over swamp or hinder the plans that Satan's trying to do in your life. And so coming to church every single week is an opportunity for you to finally... I know for me, when I came to faith in Christ, God had my attention. And you know how God had my full attention? I can tell you, it's the craziest thing. True story, this is exactly how it took place. The day that I heard the message of hope of Jesus Christ, and I'm a distracted, wandering person. I'm a squirrel-chasing mind, okay? But here's what took place. I sat next to my mom in church. And my mom knew I was a fidget little spinner. She knew that I was going to just fidget all around. Here I was, 13 years old, fidgeting in my seat. You know what my mom did? She placed her hand on my back, and she just started to scratch my back. You want me to completely stop moving? Just scratch my back gently. I'm like, I'm going to scooch a little bit closer. You know, moms, with, with, okay, if you got kids, you know this, right? I mean, I don't care how old they are. They can be 52 years old. I'm like, hey, mom, come on over here. Scratch my back. My mom scratched my back in church. And while she was scratching my back, my distractions left me, and the gospel message <laughs> penetrated my heart. Folks, <laughs> put yourself in an environment where you can hear the word of God and manage those distractions because Satan is doing all he can to distract and manipulate and keep you from hearing the truth. You're an intelligent person, just like the governor in Paphos. So I want to ask you some questions today that I'm hoping you'll anchor into your heart. The first one is to someone today that would not claim to be a believer. They've heard the church message before, but they're not claiming to be a believer. So here's the question I want you to write down, take home with you today. Who or what is hindering you from hearing and believing the truth about Jesus Christ? Who or what is hindering you from hearing and believing the truth of Jesus Christ? Just like Saul he was kept from hearing and understanding and believing before he was gloriously saved on the road to Damascus. He was so religious and he was so highly intelligent, but he missed Jesus. He had only heard about Jesus, but he didn't believe and understand. And when he did, it changed everything. So the question is, who or what is hindering you from hearing and believing the truth about Jesus Christ? Was it your upbringing? Is it the, 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 the church that you attended as a kid and your, your parents are saying, well, no, this is the only way and we've got to do this. And I'm gonna, you're going you're gonna to upset the whole family if you, if you choose to explore another option. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, Satan can use some of the greatest things in our lives, the greatest people in our lives to keep us from making the biggest decision of our life. Could going to be your friends. It's going to be a past stereotype of the church that's hindering you or distracting you today. Could it be hypocrisy in the church that's hindering you? You've just been around church long enough to know that these leaders are imperfect people and some people do some dastardly, terrible things. I pray that you never see that take place in our church. Could it be that what's hindering you today is just some unanswered questions or maybe an unanswered prayer and it makes you doubt whether or not God is real? Satan is trying to put that in your head. Maybe what's hindering you from hearing and believing the truth is that you disagree with something that you read in Scripture and this is really popular today, is that the world is looking at God's word and holding up their experience and holding up their idea of norms. And they're saying, well, the Bible speaks against these things. And so therefore the Bible, I don't agree with the Bible. And you got to be really, really careful when you and I pick and choose what we believe in the Bible. Here's what we're doing. We're creating our own version of our God. You hear that? Got to be really, really careful picking and choosing what you want to believe what God said is true. Because you are creating God in your own image, and that is idolatry, and that is a God that is not the God in Scripture. We've got to be careful of that. What is it that's hindering you from hearing and believing the truth about Jesus Christ? And what about this question? The first question I ask you is, what is hindering you? Who or what is hindering you from believing? But the second question is suddenly different. Who or what is keeping you from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? Is it fear? Is it fear of the unknown? Is it fear of what your family might say? Is it fear of what I'm going to have to give up if I say yes to Jesus? I I, I, I smile when I hear people say this. It's like, I don't know if I can come to Christ because then I'm afraid he's going to take everything away in my life that I love. Oh, come on. Your heavenly father knows you so well and he has a plan for you and a purpose for you and a love for you. Here's what I can promise you that your savior wants from you is that he wants you to have a great experience in his relationship. But he is going to change you. But he knows what you can handle and when you can handle it. Sometimes when people first come to faith in Christ, one of the first things he cleans up is the way we talk. Because it's easy for you. You've done it all your life. When you're a grandma, you don't cuss. But when you're at work, you're like this trash mouth, right? And he's like, you know what? Let's work on that. You already have a little filter. You know how to do this. So let me, let me help you with this one. God may have an addiction in your life that he wants to conquer, and maybe he works on some softer things in your life before he works on the bigger thing. But the sanctification process is beautiful. Yes, sometimes painful, but it is beautiful. Don't let what you think you have to give up keep you from surrendering your life to God. You're giving your life to a trustworthy person, a trustworthy, loving Savior who has great care in the way he handles the affairs of your life. Matthew sixteen twenty five, the New American Standard would say this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, well, then they'll find it. There is a bit of giving my life away. It's a huge part of my relationship with God. I give my life away in order to gain it. But if I try to hold on to it, God's word says you lose it. It's an interesting paradigm, but God's Word teaches us it's true. You have to let go of your control to take hold of God's control in your life. So what about you? We've talked about our friends today that are trying to examine the faith and asking you what's keeping you and what's hindering you from believing. But I realize in our room, there's a lot of people here today that are believers. You've been Christians for a long time. You've been in church a long time. As I mentioned earlier, that some of you have been in church a long time, but you're not necessarily maturing in your faith. And you kind of wonder, I guess I'll just keep going to church, but there's something wrong inside of you that says I'm not growing in my faith. And that led you before to change churches because I wasn't growing here, and so I'm just going to move somewhere else and hopefully grow there. Well, that problem will just continue to chase you down. The growing problem is your problem, not the church that you attend's problem. Because your relationship with God comes from your private time with him. What happens here is we worship him and we celebrate. Not everyone's going to like the, the music or not everyone's going to like the, the preacher or not everyone's going to like all the different elements. It's not against what Braden said in the beginning. We're not here to be consumers of this stuff. We're here to celebrate God and we come together and he's called us together to be a body of believers. Church family, my question to you for those that would consider yourself a believer, what's keeping you and what's distracting you From drawing close to God and hearing his voice in your life. If you feel like I'm not growing and I feel like I'm stuck in something. And you're even questioning your own salvation. Did I not get it right? Do I not even know kind of what I'm doing here? There's something wrong and you know it. But you're afraid to say it out loud. Who or what is distracting you from drawing close to God. And hearing his voice in your life. That's a question that many of us in the room have to wrestle with. If, in fact, Satan is doing his best and working overtime to distract us and interrupt us and interfere with us, receiving all the truths that God would like to speak into your life, then you have to know that every time that you sit down to read this book and to invite this book to transform your life, And when you would close your eyes and and pray to the God in heaven and ask him to to change you and transform you and help you and to guide you and to be your forgiver and your leader, you have to know that every time that you and I sit down before God, we have to fight against an enemy who is keeping us from receiving that information. If you don't believe me, you are fooled. It's the very reason why you can read a passage of Scripture and then feel like, I don't know what I just read. It's the very reason that, that I don't want to come back to reading scripture. Or I'm distracted in my prayers. Satan is doing a, he's working overtime to keep us from being able to hear and receive. Why? Because God is real and his word is true. And when those things, when his word encounters your life, it has the power to transform and change your life. I know that you want to feel like you're growing in your relationship with him. I know that you're not happy, stuck in some spiritual doldrum, kinda of wondering this isn't seeming like it's working for me. Whenever they preach about there's this joy in salvation that that's unexplainable joy, you're like, I don't know if I have that. And so you don't feel comfortable even sharing your faith because you feel like something's wrong in mine and I don't know what's wrong. If you don't know what's wrong when it's if you don't know what's working when it's working, you won't know what to fix when it goes wrong. And I can tell you what is working when it's working is that you allowed yourself to be to have no distractions, and you prayed Satan out of the equation, and said, "You've got no authority in my space." That sacred moment that you have on your couch or in your car, in your office, wherever it is that God brings you to speak to you personally, that is a sacred place, and that sacred place Satan has no authority there unless you permit him there. And the only way that he will be exited out of the building is that if you speak and rebuke him and say, "Get the heck away!" for me because I want to spend some time with my creator. And you have no authority and no opportunity to be in this room today. Get the heck out of here. And I don't care how many times you have to pray it. Sometimes you got to pray it 30 times in one prayer. But I promise you, if you lean into God in that way, suddenly you're going to go, whoa, there it is. I found that place. I found that moment. And you're going to, you'll know how different it becomes when you're not there. Who or what is distracting you from drawing close to God? Sometimes for me, it's my mobile device sitting next to me. I feel like I just want to throw that stupid thing. One little beep, blip notification. For some reason, why can't I wait just a few minutes to look? You with me? Some of you are shaking your head. You get me. You're like, I mean, what if it's important? At 6 in the morning, really? I mean, maybe. But probably 6.15 is still probably pretty important, too. Or 6.30 is probably, if it's important, it's Okay. Tell them how I was just spending time with God. I'm sorry I didn't reply back to you. See what they say. That's like a zinger. Yeah, I know you're really important, but I was talking to God. And, you know, I was trying to decide who's more important, and I picked him. <laughs> you know, it's probably how that would work out. He probably will let you off the hook, my guess. Maybe it's the battle of the blankets that's keeping you because you're staying up too late doing things that are just mindless and empty. And they're robbing the hour that you would have. You stay up an hour or two late and it robs you the hour that you would spend with God in the morning. I've been guilty of that. We'll come back to these questions a little bit later, but let's continue on in the story. Because in verse 9, we see the shift. The shift take place where Luke begins to call Paul by the name Paul. not no longer Saul. He says, Saul referring to Paul. And this week's Go Deeper. It's a great little article and a little Bible study for you to do that helps you understand that name change. Because Paul and Saul, his names are the same. They're just, you know, his Gentile name is, you know, his given name. And so it, it, it's, but read it. It's very interesting. I think you would appreciate it. It wasn't like one of those moments where God changes him from Abr- Abram to Abraham or that kind of thing. That, or, or, you know, Simon Peter, that kind of stuff. But you'll see a pretty cool read there. So I encourage you to check that out on the North Point app. So let's read in verse 9. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, which we recognize that. And as he looked the sorcerer in the eye, this is what he said to the sorcerer. Understand, remember what just happened is that the sorcerer is trying to distract. The sorcerer is trying to hinder the governor from believing and hearing this message, right? And so Paul, just imagine the frustration that Paul's experiencing here. Everything that Paul says, this guy chimes in. Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm not referring to you. You you know, this is an A and B conversation, so why don't you see yourself out of it? You know, this is one of those moments that Paul's just like, get what you, thank you. You know, and so Paul, here's what it says in verse nine, in verse 10, Paul looks him in the eye and he says, you son of the devil, full of, (laughs) he thought I was gonna say something else. (laughs) That's a different, it's a slang translation I think does that. You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? He understood his character, Satan's character. It's an interesting wordplay that Paul would use here. And the wordplay would not be lost on the governor because bar Jesus' name was called son of the Savior, son of Jesus, son of Joseph, a bunch of different iterations of that. And so when he would say, no, you're not son of anything, you're son of the devil, he's clearly pointing out that everything that he's doing is a distraction. And Paul had had enough. But Paul's words were not fueled by anger, although there was, I'm sure, righteous indignation and frustration with this person. But the word tells us that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 9. That's an important thing to understand. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have self-control. And so Paul wasn't out of control when he just turned and like lashed out at this guy. He was speaking truth, calling it out, just like you need to do in your quiet time. To say, I know what you're up to, and you're just the son of the devil. You are, you are here to distract, and will you ever, ever stop perverting the ways of truth? Paul was operating under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't using his own strength. And because of that, Paul gets to experience the most amazing of all human experiences, the opportunity for him to perform a miracle. And so Paul's furious with this guy, I'm sure. But he was operating in the Spirit. And because he was operating in the Spirit, he has the opportunity to do something that only Spirit can do, and that is perform a miracle. So let's read what happens. Let's jump back in verse 10, and we'll go forward. He said, you son of the devil, every sort of deceit and fraud and and an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the true, the, the, the true ways of the Lord? And that's what he says. This is where the miracle happens. This is first miracle, guys. First missionary journey. First opposition by Satan. First miracle. So beautiful. Watch now. For the Lord has laid his hand. This is the punishment. For the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you. And you will be struck blind, and you will not see sunlight for some time. Paul's words were immediately validated by the Holy Spirit. It says, instantly, mist and darkness. Imagine how creepy this scene, it was like something you'd see in a movie. Came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around and begging for someone to take his hand. Imagine the scene. Imagine how crazy it would have been to see this miracle. Imagine, Imagine Paul's face. He's like going, dude. I don't think Paul woke up that morning saying, you know what I'm going to do? The first chance that I get with a miracle, I'm going to blind somebody. No, this wasn't Paul's premeditated plan to blind anyone. That he was operating in the spirit and the spirit used Paul as the mouthpiece to say, you are punished through blindness. Interestingly enough, that's what Paul was punished with, with blindness. And so here it is that this man is blind right before Paul's eyes. He didn't set out to do the miracle. This was the curse, the punishment that came from the Holy Spirit. Why do we know this? Because he was filled with the Spirit. This wasn't in his human capacity. Yes, Paul probably wanted to knock the guy's lights out. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to do that literally for you and blinds this man. And suddenly the mist and the darkness come over the man's eyes. Everybody could see this. His eyes were visibly and noticeably darkened out. Elamis, the sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, was freaking out. He was groping around, probably screaming, probably frayed, asking for someone to grab his hand. I'd imagine that everyone, even Paul, probably stood speechless too. Because it's the only real proper response to seeing a miracle of God is to be struck with awe and wonder and just go, Oh my word, what in the world did God just do here? They sat there for, I'm sure, this moment of silence as they all figured out what was going on and watching Ilimus process all that took place with him. But then something beautiful happens in verse 12, and we'll end our scripture reading here. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer. When the distraction was finally quieted, when the hinderer was finally quieted, when those who was keeping to try to interrupt and distract was finally quieted, The governor became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. The sorcerer's eyes were blinded while the eyes of the governor were opened. Isn't that beautiful? You see, you and I have the power through the Holy Spirit to put Satan in this place, an area of distraction in your life. This goes true for even people who I wouldn't claim yet to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but you're an intelligent person and you're seeking to know. Simply, all you've got to do is put Satan in his place. Satan wants to hinder the gospel message from moving from your head into your heart. And Romans 10.10 says, For with a heart the person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You see, Satan's plan yet again was thwarted by God. What Satan had planned for evil, God used for good. Satan is full of every sort of deceit and fraud and he is the enemy of all that is good. He is the author of lies and he is the author of confusion and doubt and chaos. So if you wrestle with your thoughts about who Jesus is with confusion and doubt, if you have anger that you feel like you're processing through God, those things are coming from Satan. If you're doubting his love and his goodness and truth, Understand that Satan is keeping you from recognizing the beauty of God's character and his love for you. Whatever is interfering with you from hearing the truth of God, you have to identify it. You have to eliminate it. You have to pray against it. And you have to rebuke it. The time is now. He brought you here today to get you to think about what it is that's distracting you and keeping you and hindering you from hearing him identify it, and remove it today? Who or what is distracting you from drawing close to God and hearing his voice? Who or what is hindering you from hearing and believing the truth about Jesus Christ? And who or what is keeping you from surrendering your life to Jesus today? Would you bow your heads with me as we close our service out today? With every head bowed and every eye closed, there was... A couple different audiences that I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to today. With no one looking around, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you to consider what it is that God was trying to do. Did he bring you here today because you're an intelligent person trying to figure out who Jesus was? And if these claims are true, maybe you've bounced around church after church looking for something that just feels like the truth. And maybe today in your heart, you're like, there it is. This is different. This is true. And even while I'm talking, there's been things that have distracted you, and you've you've learned just even in this service today, you've said, I'm not going to pay attention to those distractions. I got to lean in. I got to lean in. Something's important. Something that is eternal is happening here, and I got to figure out what it is. If that describes you today, then I want you to know what's happening to you is the Holy Spirit is calling you to, to himself. The Holy Spirit is present in this room, and it's through the moral persuasive power of the Holy Spirit that he's calling you to him. And so Jesus is... Asking right now for you to surrender your life to Him, and I'm asking you, what's keeping you from doing that? What's keeping you from surrendering? What's distracting you from drawing close? And what's keeping you from giving your life? And church members, those Christians in the room, come on, you know I'm talking to you. Keep your heads down, your heads bowed, and your eyes closed. I don't want you. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but you know if you're not growing. And you know something's wrong with your quiet time. You know there's something that's keeping you from having an effective time. Maybe you know what it's like to have a close time with God and it's not happening right now. Or maybe it's never happened and you don't know why. Today's the day for you to fix that. And it simply starts by you confessing that to God and asking him to block Satan and rebuke him out of your life so that you can have that time back with him again. If that describes you today, And I want to encourage you during this final time, as the band sings one more song, Christian, I'm talking to you. As we sing this final song, and you know there's an area of your life that you need to change because it's a distraction of keeping you growing, I want you to come to the front aisle here or kneel right here by the front of the stage during this final song and pray. This is a private thing between you and God, but sometimes when you put your feet into motion, it'll make all the difference in the world about your dedication to doing that. Maybe you're here today and... There is just this divine direction that you need. And God told you in the beginning of the service, today is the day you begin a prayer and fasting time with me. And you don't even know where that begins, but you're going to come down right now in the beginning as we sing this song and say, Lord, teach me, what, when do you want me to pray? When, how do you want me to fast? I want to do it because I need your divine direction. And lastly, if you're here and you're still, you're that person that don't, doesn't know where your faith lies, I want to encourage you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to do something for me. If you feel like God's been speaking to you today and you don't know for sure you're a believer, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look up at me. No one's looking around, but I just want you to look up at me. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is, amen, I see you. Is there anyone else? The Holy Spirit is working in your life. You're like, I don't know what this is, but I'm trying to examine it, try to understand it. Is there anyone else? If that describes you today, I'm excited about your your curiosity to know more. And I want to pray with you because you can right now in this moment receive him as your Lord and Savior. And it's a prayer that you have to pray, but I'll give you some guided words in which to do that. And after I do that, I want to encourage you to come up here at the final song today. We'll have our elders across the stage and we want to give to you some resources about how to take your next steps with God. But let me pray for you first. If you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, this is simply the conversation that you need to have in your own words with God. It would go something like this. Father, you brought me here to church today, obviously, for a reason. And I can't for the life of me see any other way of truth than what I'm hearing today, Lord. There's something true about what I'm hearing I don't know all the different nuances to what it is I'm understanding, but Lord, there's something that tells me that you are truth, and I want to know more about that. So Lord, I want to put my faith in you. I want to place my life in your care. I want to surrender my life to you, believing that you are God's son, believing that Jesus Christ was God's son that he came for this purpose so that, so that, that you would die for my sins. So that I could be forgiven of my sins and live eternally with you in heaven. I want that. And so, Lord, come into my life and change me. I'm not going to let anything hold me back anymore from this decision. Today, I choose you. And I want Satan out of my life. If that describes you, if you prayed a prayer, or something like that, and, and congratulations. Would you guys just look at me for a moment? All of you, look up at me. If you prayed that prayer today, whether for God to limit those distractions in your life or to ask him to save you, congratulations. You have now accomplished some of the greatest work of the day. You put Satan in his place and you put God in the right place also. As we sing this final song, I want to encourage you to come forward and pray. If you've made that decision to follow Christ, come and talk to one of our elders in the front. We want to give you a packet of resources, and if you're comfortable, we'd like to take you on the prayer patio for five minutes and just explain everything that's here in these booklets. A New Believer Bible and some other things to help you with your tools, because the last thing I want you to do is leave here and not know what to do next, okay? And so it's a simple low-stakes thing. We're not going to embarrass you, but we're going to sing one final song, and then we'll go home. Let's all stand together. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be Standing here today pro- proclaiming your word, Lord, I know that every with everything in me that your word is true, and I know that Satan is doing everything he can to distract everyone in this room. But Lord, man, through your Holy Spirit today, he was put in his place. And there's people today that are ready to give their life to you, there's believers today that are ready to get rid of those distractions that are hindering them from growing, Lord. You're moving, and so in this final song, Father, with the Holy Spirit, draw each person to. Take that next step, whether it's to come forward to pray or to come forward and talk to an elder to get that packet of new believer information. God, whatever it is, give them the courage to do that. Don't let them be distracted or hindered or kept from doing it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.